Understood is a resource I have recommended for many years to parents looking for support with learning and thinking differences such as ADHD, dyslexia, and more. And I'm subsequently excited to tell you about their podcast, Understood Explains. This season, the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. They cover topics such as how to tell if your child needs an IEP, common myths about special education, and the difference between IEPs and 504 plans. I love how Understood Explains breaks down the overwhelm by unpacking an important topic each season and then drilling down further into key basics in each episode. Most episodes are between 10 to 15 minutes, and episodes are available in both English and Spanish. So fantastic, right? To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of smart, compassionate guests, you will come away with insights and tactics to help you find the agency and space to simplify and declutter your home, time, mental space, and more. Hello, friends. I am just excited beyond compare about today's guest. We are talking to Dan Blank, who is the creative force behind We Grow Media and writes the wonderful substack, The Creative Shift by Dan Blank. And in addition to being one of the most grounded and lovely voices on the internet, I so appreciate how Dan helps people reorient in this very, very noisy world to focus on centering creativity at an individual level and how to foster human connection. It had been on my mind for some time to invite Dan onto the show for a conversation, and then two things happened. First, in my Edit Your Life survey, there were a number of requests for how to get into writing or build creative practices, and also how to foster human connection. And second, one of his recent Substack updates popped into my feed, and it resonated so deeply with me. Here's what he wrote. I encourage you to stop worrying about how many likes your posts receive. Instead, focus on real engagement, conversations, and connections with readers. In 10 years, you won't remember how many likes a post received, but you will remember conversations you had, what readers said about your writing, and how they shared with you that your words improved their lives. I mean, aren't those words a bomb? Welcome, Dan Blank. I'm so delighted you're here with me today. I'm totally playing that intro for my mom. Thank you. You're very oh generous. Gosh. <laughs> I'm so glad. Well, I have so many questions for you. So I would love to just jump right in. I've received, as I mentioned, a number of listener requests about getting into writing and more generally also just making space for creativity. I know that one of your core beliefs is that people should give themselves the permission to create. So what advice would you give to people who are struggling to center themselves creatively, particularly when there are so many other demands pulling at them in life? Yeah, two big things. The first is I know that we all have these, these narratives in our head about why we shouldn't do this. I don't have credentials. So many other people have written this before. Mm. Um, I'm not a writer. There's all these different things. Usually when I'm talking to a writer, I actually have them write those things down because I think that these are things that you will never get rid of. And when you write them down, you can stop being afraid of them. You can stop hiding from them. 
they exist. They will always exist. And knowing that to me reduces their power. Mm-hmm. I do think it stops a lot of people. And then in a very logical way, they would say, well, no, because I don't have credentials, what I'm going to do this summer, I'm going to sign up for a workshop on writing. That, see, that's how I'm moving forward. And it's all delay, delay, delay. Mm-hmm. And I, I understand that. It is logical. It makes sense. But it puts off you sharing your voice. So that's the first thing, which we can talk more about if you want. And the second thing is to start anywhere. I think a lot of us, including me, get caught in you know, analysis paralysis, where they have something they want to try. And they're like, well, I've got a lot of different ideas. I want... I want to really figure out which one is the right one because I don't want to waste my time on the wrong one. There is no wrong one. The wrong thing is to not be creating, to not be exploring, to not figuring it out. Or to think that, well, I know where I want to start and I have to, you know, go in this sort of way. Um, You're never going to know the exact right way to start. And probably the way that you think it should be in your head is false anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think of this in a lot of creative areas, like I practice playing guitar as well. And that's the same kind of thing where we can convolute this thing in our head so much. And I think a lot of people have different ideas and they want to sign or they want validation that this is the right thing. Just start. Know that it's going to be suboptimal. You can even tell yourself that you're going to rip it up when you're done. Like, I have a paper shredder home. Tell yourself you have to shred it when you're done. Again, not because I think you should shred your voice, but because anything to give yourself permission. And I think that when we write things down, we have that fear of being seen as a fraud, or now I know, or someone's going to find it. Giving yourself permission just to explore, I think, is one of the biggest things you can do. And not worry about if it's the right thing. Definitely not worrying if it's, quote unquote, good enough. Um, and this is my obsession my whole life, is studying people who create. It is shocking how many of the, the best works out there were created and the person just thought that they were suboptimal or downright embarrassing. One of my favorite stories of that is um, uh, Jack White from the White Stripes. You know, his big song is Seven Nation Army. It has this whole second and third life in the sports arena. And he told a story. Remember, he came up the riff. He played it for a friend. His friend has looked at him and shook his head. Nah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, he's, and, and Jack is honest. He's like, without that song, I kind of don't have much of a career. He's like, I have no hits. So when I play at a show, I'll play that song more than once because the audience wants it. But without that song, like that's the thing people came for, for the most part. Then it's what I do with those two hours in front of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. I Well, first, I want to say that I love the idea of just writing all those fears down. I'm a big fan of, even if it's just in a, well, I actually do have a private document where I sort of dump all of my things that are probably not fit for public consumption or aren't very polite or whatever they may be. But it does, it does help take the air out of it. So I think that's such a good tactic. Yeah, I have this thing when I, I used to teach this when I ran a mastermind group where I the silly thing where I call them cave trolls because I I really do view them as this thing that's a part of your life. And the idea, I'm sitting in my studio now, I really do view it as this big, lumpy, like Harry Potter-esque cave troll comes into your space. And it's different for everyone, what they represent to you. And to me, this cave troll will never be banished from your life. They will wander in and disrupt your day and they will always do that. You'll never get rid of them. And the idea is to occupy them. So you bake Mm. them a special cake 
And what you want is not to kill the cave troll or to maim it or to hurt it. It exists. It's just a dopey cave troll. But you need to know how to live with that cave troll anyway. And you need to know how to occupy it. And I think, too, it lets go of that, that preoccupation we have. We're like, I've got to get over this. Mm-hmm. A lot of the things that keep us from creating or sharing, they are deep, deep things that you might never fully get rid of where it's going to be a lot to do that. It's a lot to ask of yourself to get over fear of being seen or trauma that you've had that might relate to you writing about something. But welcoming it in, knowing it's going to be there, expecting it, it takes away the shock value of, there it is again. Oh, no, I'm back at where I started. Mm-hmm. You just expect it. Oh, there it is. Okay, let me do that exercise, or let me change my scenery, or let me put on music, whatever it is. And then you get to kind of move through it instead of trying to destroy it. I love it. Cave trolls. I have I have all sorts of imagery popping, Dan, for my Instagram share graphics <laughs> for you. So this, this is fantastic. Thank you for feeling that. Clearly, you are a creative person and a writer. Now, your commentary right there leads me to something else. My next question, actually. Now, we're talking about kind of just starting and giving yourself permission. The practice of writing, particularly if you choose to do it publicly or even just being creative in any way, can feel very vulnerable. And just the other week, as you know, I shared a post about lessons from writing at Substack for one year. And a reader named Annette responded... Reading this today is the push I needed to take a risk and start my own Substack. It's scary, and maybe my family will be the only people who read it, but it will give me a space to share. And she has since set up a forthcoming Substack called Constantly Curious. Great title, right? Yeah. So obviously, people will have different histories that contribute to their fears about writing or being creative. But what are your thoughts about the sort of just dive in and do it approach Or is there a more gentle toe-in-the-water approach that you would recommend? To me, they feel like the same thing in a way, because I don't, I'm not a big dramatic person. I like doing things at a very like down-to-earth level. And the -the toe-in-the-water way is also the way of like, well, what's the minimum viable way for me to share? Mm. Oh, you know, so it's the idea, let me just set up an account and I'll just see what it's like. Um, or we think about this idea of, well, if I did it monthly, like what's the first three things I would want to write about? Or mm-hmm. what's the most basic newsletter? So I like this idea of sending a newsletter to like no one. Like the first newsletter I ever sent was in 2005. I was within a company. I had to get permission to do this thing. But then I walked around to nine people I knew in the company and said, hey, I'm doing this new newsletter. I think this is the topic. Can I send you the first issue and just see, if, see what you think? So I had to do the thing that like, I think people would freak out about this, like to walk up to someone I know and ask permission. <laughs> now it's like we, we just put it out there and assume no one will see it. Um, and it was the idea of like the, the minimum to kind of get me there. Um, a story I, I told recently, I don't know if it was privately or publicly, but I remember years ago, I was trying to get back into a fitness routine. And I told myself, you know what? Uh, we have a YMCA like a couple blocks from my house. Just drive down to the YMCA like, you know, get in your outfit, drive down to the YMCA, park in a spot, and then immediately come home. Mm-hmm. Like, just get over the barrier of putting on the clothes, which can be really a thing for people, like feeling mm-hmm. like these clothes feel weird and blah, blah, blah. And then just getting there. Because once you get there, you're like, okay, I broke through that first barrier. And then I actually ended up walking in. And I figured, let me just put stuff in a locker, see how the locker works. And then I did the one thing I knew. I knew how to use a treadmill. So I walked or ran for a mile or two, and then I left. But it got me over that hump. And it also got me into the place of learning. Because Mm -hmm. in that scenario, 
I might, you know, I might think, oh, I've got to figure out the machines. And it could have been the locker that like freaked me out, you know, <laughs> something like mm-hmm. that. But this is how like mm-hmm. emotional it can be to go to like a gym for people. Um, and I think with the idea of how you get started with creating is thinking about that minimum, that mm-hmm. minimum thing that you can begin with. And not worry if you mess it up. This is actually the beauty of being a beginner is that you're sort of forgiven for messing something up. Hey, here's my first one and here's what I'm trying to do. And if you mess it up, it's like, well, great. That was my first one. And it's also why I don't always love building up something because then it's like there's an expectation and I've got to like make sure everything is perfect. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, whether it's I know where you and I are centered on the Substack, but it could be wherever you are. I mean, that was one thing that I was kind of talking myself out of at the very beginning when I was thinking about it, because I was like, oh, another thing to learn. I've got to learn all these things. And then I was kind of like, you don't need to learn all the things and you can just start and learn the things as you go. And, you know, it's been actually and Substack is kind of great that way because they're constantly throwing new things at the wall. So I don't think you could ever learn all the things. <laughs> so it it is kind of beautiful. Like, and I really appreciate your perspective on embracing being a beginner and making mistakes. I don't think I hear that very much. It's a beautiful thing. I remember years ago, it was a podcast I was listening to. Uh, I forget if it was Andrew Warner or not, but he had a young guest on and they were like really young and they were saying, um, use that. Because if, you, if you're a student and you want to in, interview someone in your new podcast, when you say, oh, I'm, I'm a student at university and whatever, a lot of people give you a foot in the door that they wouldn't to a professional mm. adult. Mm-hmm. And they were just saying, like, you know, use that status. The things that we tend to want to hide about ourselves, that we're all amateurs, what we're doing, you can flip that. And that could become a huge asset for you, a story that people want to align with. Mm-hmm. How cool. I love it. Well, Dan, we're going to take a quick break and then I want to come back and talk about connection. Especially in this digital age, since we're well beyond handwritten journals and letters to convey history, the preservation of stories is so important, especially from the moms and mom figures in our lives. And if you've been looking for a way to collect those stories but aren't sure how to start, I have a recommendation for you. StoryWorth makes it easy. Every week, they email a loved one of your choosing a question prompt that you pick. For example, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? And What aspects of having children didn't turn out the way you expected? Your loved one responds to that email with a story of any length. You will receive copies of these emails as they are submitted. And after one year, StoryWorth compiles the stories and any photos provided into a keepsake book. A friend recently shared how moving it was that her mom gifted copies of her StoryWorth album to immediate family members, a genius idea for expanding the preservation and sharing of those stories to people in different households and generations. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com edit. That's storyworth.com edit to save $10 on your first purchase. Did you know that hyaluronic acid naturally occurs in our skin but decreases gradually as we age, leading to thinner, drier skin? If you're looking for support hydrating your skin from the inside out, check out one of the tools in my hydration arsenal, Rituals Hyacera, which I take every morning. Rituals products are tested and validated by a third party for allergens, microbes, and heavy metals, and Hyacera is clinically proven to reduce fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. 
They also engage in industry-leading sustainability standards and are a female-founded B Corp, which means they hold themselves accountable to not just their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. Want to join me in hydrating from the inside out? Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash edit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash edit for 25% off. Hello, friends. We are back with the wonderful Dan Blank. Dan, let's talk about connection. So I would venture to say that you, taking a very human-centered approach to writing, it feels increasingly radical in this age of AI everything. This is, this is one reason why I love your work so much. It's like a disruption against automated things. And so I would love for you to share your perspective on connection and our potential impact on one another through writing and other creative mediums. I read that note at the beginning, but I know you have a lot more to say on this matter. Yeah, I feel like this is the beautiful thing that we all have. So we, we tend to focus on the, t- the tech because it's shiny and new. And we consider all oh, the ways that might automate things or help make things simpler. And we get freaked out by it. And in, we see this again and again. What really resonates with people are the things that are inherently human because we can relate to them because they feel like there's a story and a narrative behind it. We see this with influencers on social media where you look at this and a lot of them are sharing things that are genuine. You know, let let me tell you a story about my thing that I suffer from. Or they're sharing photos of themselves that, and this shouldn't be radical, but there's they're not all, you know, done up in however they want to do. Mm -hmm. They're sharing things that are more real. And this is something that we all have. And I feel like we've been convinced that we have to be quote unquote professional. We have to be trained on things. And this has been to me the one of the positive lessons of social media is that people want to connect with other people. And as I've looked at things like AI, which is terrifying and fascinating and interesting, and it has potential to just destroy everything about the processes of what we do, I think, well, the thing it doesn't have is what you as an individual have, that unique perspective the backstory to things, the the odd way that you might tell a story. And this, again, is why I like looking at examples of creators where in the 1990s, I did a a music zine. So it was, you know, desktop publishing where I would spend Mm -hmm. a lot of time and money. And and every zine I looked at and the one that I did, they were weird and they're idiosyncratic. And I think that that is something that will only become more valuable over time. And this is something I look at again with why does something resonate? Um, I referenced this in a pretty recent newsletter where um, one of my kids is now six. And during the whole thing we went through the last couple of years, he, um, I found a way to get access to every single episode of Mr. Rogers. And he watched all of them. And then he watched all of them again, mm. which is a total of 1,800 episodes. And... There was so much that I learned by sort of observing that because the, the voice is always on at our house where you have someone who is in this very rudimentary studio who is using no effects, mm. who is talking incredibly slow and yet is very sophisticated, is explaining difficult topics, is not talking down to anyone, 
is opening up new pathways, is, has all these ideas. And it was such a great lesson to me of this is what creativity looks like. It's not, it doesn't have to be quick cuts. It doesn't have to be new technology. It doesn't have to be, um, here's the newest musical guest, you know, this thing which I'm fine about. Like I remember seeing children's shows and they would bring in these really cool music guests. I'm like, that's kind of neat, but that's not required. Mm-hmm. So when mm-hmm. I think of connection, because um, so much of the work I, I focus on is the idea of how you share your work and, and marketing, it really is about what is it about why you create and the reason that someone comes to work like yours. So whether it's a book or music, whatever, this idea of what is that inherent connection and what is the quickest way for you to kind of make that connection with people? Mm, I love that. And you actually, speaking of connection, you actually received like an actual letter from somebody, right? Like you had written something or worked with a client. I remember seeing this on your website when I was prepping for this. I I, mean, isn't that the ultimate? (laughs) It is. And I always look for that, that thing where they go to a channel that you don't expect. And in that case, it was a letter, which is really cool. Um, and my wife is an artist. So she right now, she works in a couple different media. She works in clay right now. She works in paper mache. And we talk all the time about this, but you see, here's a thing that I made. It is one of a kind. It was made by hand. A machine can easily re- replicate this. And yet this is the one that I made right here. And this one has a story behind it. Um, I always love looking at that either as a metaphor or as an actual thing of like, this is why it matters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is really, really cool. I want to talk to you a little bit about hobbies versus hustle. I'm a big fan, by the way, of not making everything a side hustle. (laughs) And so, you know, I've mentioned Substack a couple of times. We both love it. We both write there. And I think it's just a beautiful, pure and joyful space. At least it is for me anyway. But I also think as writers, it is a tricky thing because it is a place for passion and it can feel like another place to hustle. So I'd be curious to hear your recommendations because honestly, I don't know. I'm sure you hear this all the time because your professional work is advising creators, but I don't know how many times I've heard somebody say, well, I'm hoping to write this thing and then I'll be discovered and et cetera, et cetera, right? So how do we balance hobbies versus hustle in a space that also intersects with the deeply personal and vulnerable and perhaps traumatic? I've said this before and it always feels controversial, but I don't believe in balance for, you know, how I view this stuff. And the, to me, the beauty of that is I love people who are really passionate and they have a deep why with what they do. And I think the thing that bugs me is when people sort of say they want to do this thing and then they sort of just half bake it. I mean, they do the minimum and I applaud their effort. It's not like I'm trying to be critical, but it's this idea of knowing whether you're knowing whether it, this is a hobby. So like for me, I practice guitar and even though I I'm very ambitious and I'm creative, I'm really clear. I play guitar because I want to be able to sit on a porch and play guitar for 20 minutes, and that's it. I'm never going to record. I'm never going to be sharing this. I'm never going to perform. If I do, it's just merely coincidence. That, I'm really clear about that. That is a hobby, and my hobby has very specific goals, which is the porch and the 20 minutes playing guitar. (laughs) Which are awesome goals, by the way. Thank you. Um, 
which is different than the idea of I write to be read, or I write to connect with this kind of reader, or I write to explore these kinds of themes. And with that, I feel like, well, there you are really going to put yourself in a situation to challenge your assumptions. Because often, again, we sort of half bake it. So if you are joining Substack, because unlike a lot of other social media, it feels um, like it's filled with writers who care, Mm -hmm. like it's focusing on long form written content. It just feels good to you. Wonderful. Then when you see something that triggers you to be more competitive, you have to like learn to observe that and then kind of let it go. If you only want it to be a hobby, I just want to, I just want to write a journal. Like years ago we had, um, what was it tribe and we had live journal and we had MySpace, mm-hmm. which my wife was early to those things. And they were more like, there wasn't the expectation you wrote on your tribe or your live journal. Cause it was like a diary. And if, if anyone read it, you were like, Whoa, someone read this. Like you, you weren't thinking about going viral. So if you do have an expectation, then I think that it comes into this idea of, of work. And I don't say work as a negative term or a term that corrupts art, but you have to really think, well, what are my goals then? And let me really think about how am I looking at this as a craft? So, so much of the work mm-hmm. I do is I work with writers, help them with marketing and sharing their work. And I view that as a craft. So how often should you show up for those readers? If you're saying once a quarter, well, then you're not really showing up. Mm-hmm. You know, if that's mm-hmm. the goal, um, if you say, oh, I don't, I don't want headlines that are too, you know, whatever. It's like, well, what headlines get people to actually click into a post? What opening paragraphs get to do that? What use of images? How do you describe what your Substack is about? This is not you selling out. This is you viewing it as a craft, which is, I do want to devote myself to learning this craft. Uh, even earlier, I've been learning Adobe Premiere for video editing because I love video. and. I think that that's the professional tool and I want to get good at it. I want to not feel like I don't know how to do it. So there've been times in the last year and a half where I've gone through like heavy duty um, tutorials on that. I found another one this morning and I bookmarked it. I'm going to watch it and I'm like, I'll do a bit more with that so that I, I just know how to use this tool so that when I'm doing a workshop and I want to do these certain kind of layovers or some whatever, mm-hmm. I'm building that in the background. It's not me wasting my time. It's not me doing tech. It's me focusing on the craft, the craft of good storytelling through video. Mm, I love that distinction. I, I sort of, sort of feel like that's adding, adding another layer, which I shouldn't be surprised by, (laughs) but I want to, I want to dig a little further into something because you referenced, you know, seeing something and if it kind of gets to you, letting it go. So, and I'm going to just show up in this question very directly and say, we live in a very noisy world. And I think it can just be, well, maybe not hard to stay true to your val- your vision, but it, it's easy to get distracted rather when social platforms, you know, are doing the things that they're doing and you're accessing them. And I'll be really candid, Dan, and say that I really believe in my value and what I'm doing and how I show up and Pretty much every single time I log onto social, I see something that makes me feel kind of bad about myself, like I'm not doing enough or I'm not being enough, which is also just I know it's 100 percent nonsense and it's still a feeling that's there. So at the risk of making you feel like my therapist, which is really not what I'm trying to do, (laughs) how do you recommend handling situations like these? Because I think that 
all of us. I've, I hear it from so many people. It's really, really hard to see the highlight reels and see what other people are doing and, and not let it get to you. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I mean, I go through this, I think many people do or most people do. So one way I think about it is the idea of like intention. So really understanding what's like the inputs versus the output. So if we think about what, you know, first of all, turning off things like notifications so that it's not, in, it's not interrupting your time. Obviously, if you're going to Instagram, you're choosing to be there because you want to post, but then you see something and then you mm-hmm. feel, shouldn't I be a good citizen and like other people's posts? But, but the first thing I think is thinking about, you know, where do you have some control? So turning off notifications. Um, I remember Amanda Montel, who is an author I've worked with, where she would talk about, um, I don't know if she still does for a period of time she did this. She would delete Instagram from her phone from, I'll make the rest of this up, I forget the exact things, from Sunday night and through, through Thursday morning, Instagram was deleted from her phone. Mm, mm-hmm. And then she would bring it back on Friday and she would um, you know, work on her post for that week. She's got a podcast, she's got a new book coming out, and it would get deleted again. And I thought that was a wonderful way, not just, I know there are apps that can control things, but even that like that idea of deleting it, I think very intentional. It yeah. reminds you that you have a power over this thing. Mm. Um, and people feel so powerless. They feel like they have to do all these things. Um, something that I've done is I've gone through and done huge bouts of unfollowing people, which mm. is a really complex thing to work through because mm. everyone I've followed, I followed for good reason. And then I worry that if they'll see I unfollow them. But I've had to reduce that. And I've thought about the idea of like, well, what if I unfollow everyone and then only follow 10 people um, or something I've seen where I've, I follow the stuff that Emma Chamberlain does, who's been successful in so many areas where one day she just, you know, with, she had 15 million followers, I think on TikTok, And one day she just deleted her account. And it was so in the moment where she didn't even like reserve, keep the username. Someone else just registered the username immediately. Wow, That's <laughs> um, dramatic. Yeah. And on Instagram, she unfollowed everyone except for like her dad and the two companies that she runs. And I'm pretty sure she now has a private Instagram account where people can't see who she follows because she's like a celebrity. So that has a lot of like boundary things. But boundaries are so important here. Um, Even with things like whether it's a positive thing like playing guitar or you negative, like whatever it could be, playing a video game that you don't want to suck up all your time, you know, giving yourself some boundaries with it um, of saying, I'm going to do this for 15 minutes or I'm going to post, but I'm not going to scroll. And this is also why I like really defining your values or I call them kind of key messages Mm -hmm. as a writer or creator, because you know, you have a way of talking about, well, if I'm just posting on Instagram, but not liking and resharing, aren't I one of those horrible self-involved people? Like we get this narrative and it's like, no, my values are, The work that I do with my writing and my podcast helps people do X, Y, and Z. By sharing that, I'm positive that it will help at least one person do that. Like having these reminders so you don't always renegotiate Mm. what your values, what you think your values are, what they're not, which is really difficult. And I think I love what you're doing here too of being honest about it because you say that and I hear it and I'm like, oh my gosh, me too. And so do people in the audience. And I think that's so empowering for people as well. Yeah. Wow. I, I feel like I want to write like my own, like little social, just for me, my own little (laughs) social media values slash mission statement, like just to kind of stay oriented. I think that's, 
absolutely genius. Not a surprise. Okay, we're going to take one more quick break, and then we will be back to talk about doing less. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you struggle with boundaries and the general complexities of peopling? Relationships are necessary to our well-being, and some relationships are just, well, complicated. A good chunk of the work I have done in therapy centers on relationships, how to own my part of the story, how to let go of relationships that are toxic, and how to navigate challenging relationships in a way that doesn't drain me. And all of this work helps me show up better for myself and also as a partner, mom, friend, family member, and business owner. If you're thinking of starting therapy, check out BetterHelp. This online therapy platform was designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash edit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash edit. As you know, I am all about micro-improvements, and if you'd like to dedicate a little time each day to learn a language, I have a great solution for you. Babbel is a science-backed language learning app that offers 10-minute language lessons designed to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Materials are rooted in real-life situations, so you can learn important basics such as ordering food and asking for directions. Babbel offers personalized learning content, real-time feedback, tracking, and visualizations, and their speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. No matter what level you are looking for, casual, intense, or something in between, you can enjoy app lessons, podcasts, and live classes from the comfort of your home on your schedule. Here's a special limited-time deal for Edit Your Life listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription. This is only for Edit Your Life listeners at babbel.com edit. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com edit. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash edit. Rules and restrictions may apply. Hello, friends. We are back with Dan Blank, who I just, I have a huge smile on my face, Dan. I know you can't see it because we're not on video, but I just, I'm just so grateful for this conversation today. Now, you recently published a post called Do Less to Create More of What Matters. And of course, I love this. And I would love for you to share your perspective. You make a lot of great points in this article, but specifically, I love the way you talk about doing less as a way to embrace limits. And specifically because I think limits kind of make conjure a negative valence for people. So talk more about that. Yeah. I mean, I, again, it goes back to the idea of like, I believe and people have this unique voice and you should share it and you should create. What I worry about is people not doing that, of people wanting to write or make music or talk or do something and then not doing that. So something I think we're all confronted, some of it's the place in life. I have a six-year-old and a 13-year-old. I have you know, a mother who's in her late 70s. Um, and with everything we've all gone through the last few years, I think we've all been pushed well past our limits at one point or another. And one of the beautiful things I saw was some people kind of reimagining their life because they felt so pushed. They're like, "Why? Well, this is not sustainable. And for myself, I, I am the luckiest person in the world, and I'm so fortunate to have what I have. And one thing that I've had to let go of is that idea of 
doing more and doing everything and doing everything mm-hmm. well and then doing that new thing. There can be a real, I guess, endorphin rush to that. But after a while, what I realize is there's a couple of things I really care about and I, it matters to me and I want to do them well. I want to be, you know, it's different for everyone, but whether it's the craft, whether it's a writer, whether it's like the work I have helping writers or the obvious things like being there for my family and all that kind of stuff. I love this idea of craft. And when I look at people who are able to do that, it is this idea of inherently they are focusing and they're taking something that might be flippant for other people, making tea and realizing, well, actually, tea is this ancient thing and there's this whole culture is around that. And you can break it down into this multitude of effects. We're taking walk in the woods where it can be a walk in the woods could be a deeply, deeply spiritual practice, even though it's just someone walking on a path in Mm -hmm. sneakers and i love that idea because it to me it gives you permission to think about the nuances of what we do and this idea of doing more sometimes it can really work but a lot of times i find it just sets up an expectation that will inherently let us down and make us feel bad about ourselves Mm -hmm. and giving permission to do less does feel radical in a lot of ways because For whatever reason, we're in this culture where we celebrate people who do incredible things. Um, You know, we look at pop culture and we see performers of all kinds doing this. And you're like, whoa, look at what they're able to do. And that's inspiring. They have now shown a generation of people that they can do this and they can do that. And that's awesome. But that's not the only way. You can be someone who just does a certain thing. And that's okay. And the nice thing about that, again, going about the idea of craft is this idea of finding a way to talk about it. Because invariably, the biggest challenge is the social challenge. It's not just saying, you know, I'm going to devote myself to doing less. I'm going to focus on this, this, and that. It's how do you tell your sister or your neighbor or your co-PTO president or whatever that you're going to bow out of something where you're not going to volunteer for something. Mm -hmm. Those are the things I think are most difficult is that social pressure that we feel or the, what we feel around the identity, which is if, well, if I don't volunteer for the bake sale, I mean, I've always done that. And I'm like, I mean, I'm a community minded person. If I don't do that, I'm like one of four parents not doing that. And I'm going to be in that bucket. You know, it's like, we just go into this (laughs) catastrophizing thing. Um, You know, because nothing matters more in life than that specific bake sale. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And in the moment, it can feel that way because in in, wrapped into that is our love of children, our love of our kids, the love of our school. Like, it can get really convoluted very quickly, Mm -hmm. Um, which again is why I like writing things down because we can kind of remind ourselves of that. And that is something I'm doing. You mentioned it before, but like, I do have these four things I've written down for this year that I'm like trying to remember to read every morning that like recenters me on the work that I do and why I do it. Mm, that's so great. And the comment you made just a moment ago saying, you know, you tell your sister about it or whatever it is that you're doing and the importance of sharing, you know, I have been writing a lot recently after a really huge disruption to my life, um, self-imposed and very joyful, but also very scary. Last year, I've been writing a lot about, you know, the power of rest and slowing down and doing things differently. And it really reminds me, as does this, the things you just said of when Asha and I, before we wrote Minimalist Parenting, and when we started blogging about just doing things a different way, doing less, 
not being on the sort of chaotic parenting track all the time. And it was almost, you know, we were old school bloggers back then, but it was very like anytime we put something like that out on the internet, there would be these messages and almost like whispers like, oh, can we do it this way? We can do this. This is okay. This is what I want to do. So I'm just bringing that up to reinforce how important it is to share and talk, whether it's you could do it publicly, but just in even in your private circles, because if you're feeling it as a person, it's probably pretty likely somebody else is feeling it too. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. I see this a lot with like Facebook. We have like a town Facebook group and pretty often this happened the other day, there'll be like an anonymous post about something and it oh, always <laughs> creates, but it always creates conversation. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, and you know, my son is struggling and we think he might have dyslexia, but whatever. And we're trying to get a recommendation. And the, the comments threads just go over the top with like, well, here's our experience. Here's what we did. Here's what we went through. And it's like, oh, okay. I'm not alone in struggling with this. Mm, mm. Okay, Dan. Well, I know I have to let you go soon, but I do have one last question for you. And at the end of each show, I ask my guests to share what is called your next edit. It's a really actionable tip that listeners can consider doing right away after they finish listening to our conversation. So in the context of what we have chatted about, I would love for you to share your next edit for this episode. So there's this concept I love called the single push-up. And I think I got this from Tim Ferriss in a podcast years ago. And Tim focuses a lot on uh, the time anyway, and the health and feeling good about yourself. And I think a quote from him at the time was something like, you know, if you don't have time for a fitness routine, don't have the, the exercise, the money, the clothes, whatever, you have 15 seconds to drop to the floor and do a couple push-ups, And that can start a routine um, mm. from there. And I always think of this as like the creative push-up, which is like, again, going back to like, what is that one thing that it gets past all of your barriers where the time, the money, the access. So like, again, if we think of like, I've got a guitar here, I have, and I remember doing this for periods of time, you know, I have to play guitar for like a minute a day, you know, something where it gets it in your hands and you feel the strings, you build up the calluses where there's no way that you can justify you don't have one minute or 30 seconds to do something. So for writing, it could be, you know, I have to write a hundred words, not a thousand words, or it could be I have to write one sentence. Something that is so small that you all of your excuses kind of go out the door about whether or not you have the time and the space. And because those are the things that stop us. Well, you know, I live Mm -hmm. in a small place where like, oh, my kids, I've got four kids and I don't have any time. It's like, that is all true. And I really respect that. But it's like, what is that minimum thing where you feel like, you know what? No, I'm not a writer yet. My novel's not getting done. But 12 days in a row, I wrote 75 words every morning right after I woke up. And those words are all in the trash bin right now. But I am writing every day. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, can be really powerful. That is absolutely perfect and beautiful. And I had more imagery, Dan. I (laughs) (laughs) I love it so much. Dan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today and just for being a real voice of calm and reason on the internet. I, I appreciate you so much. I, I know I don't say it enough, but I'm here. Know that I'm here thinking it pretty much all the time. I really appreciate you. And thank you again for coming on today. You were so generous and kind. Thank you so much. Take care. Okay, friends, you'll find the show notes for this episode, including links to resources and related episodes at edityourlifeshow.com. 
As ever, I would love to hear your thoughts and questions. Come say hello on Instagram or Facebook at Edit Your Life Show or send an email to edityourlifeshow at gmail.com. I would also be grateful if you would drop Edit Your Life a review on Apple Podcasts or tell a pod-loving friend about the show. Thanks for listening. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.